You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. Yes, it is. Welcome in to episode nine of Orange and Back Check. So glad you are here getting ready for the holiday season, the Christmas season. It's always a good time of the year. And the Flyers are playing well. Scott, my partner, how's it going, man? Hey, man. Listen, you're right. It's around the holidays. Everything's going well with the Flyers so far, but... This weather is absolutely atrocious. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd rather have it where it be snowing like this. It's it's pouring outside today. Although probably when people are listening, this might be sunny, might be different. But my point is, it should be. It's December. It should be snowing. But the thing is, if it were snowing right now, we'd have a foot on the ground. Probably wouldn't be doing the podcast right now. So you know what? I, I'll take that. I'd rather be on the, on the air rather than <laughs> trying to drive through that snow. Yeah, I was gonna say, man. I- where how we have the with a little inside baseball i record from home you got to drive out to uh broadcast studio at connecticut school of broadcasting it can be really a pain if it was snowing so it's good that we're able to do this let's dive right into this um certainly a good week overall for the flyers they converted on i believe my if my math is correct it was 67 68 of their points um i i i don't know how any else any way else to describe it but they were good wins and it was a tester against Arizona because Arizona is a good team that they kind of fell flat on and lost three to one so it was it's good that they're bagging these points but they also need to start competing against these teams that are equally or better than them yeah and let's take a look at the fact that so far this season I believe they are winless against the Pacific Division they've played Calgary, they lost to them. They lost to Vancouver. Oh, well, they beat Vancouver last week. So that's that. I mean, they, they've always struggled against teams out west for whatever reason. But Arizona, as crazy as it sounds, they are no joke. Uh, they are a really good, solid hockey team. They're first in the Pacific right now. They overtook Edmonton when they beat the Flyers last week. So that's a really good kudos to them. Rick Tockett's got that team playing very well. Another thing about their goaltending is just beyond fantastic. Darcy Kemper is a guy who's kind of not really a journeyman, but it took him a long time to get going. He played very well in junior, and their goaltender was the difference in that game. Brian Elliott gave up that early goal. I don't think that affected the Flyers. They they had jumped the whole time. I I just think that sometimes you're going against a goaltender where you're just not going to score on them, and I think that game was a clear, clear indication of that. They had the 4-3 win against Montreal earlier in the week with Ivan Provorov with that end-to-end rush. If that's not a goal-of-the-year candidate, man, then this league is stupid. 
Um, the six-one win against Toronto, which that game was a lot closer than that score was. I that six-one that last five minutes from Toronto, Canada they were ripping Toronto the next day. Like, oh my God, they look terrible. I don't think so. <laughs> I thought Toronto actually kept that game close. They had a lot of good scoring chances. It was just that last few minutes they just kind of fell apart there. But for fifty-five minutes, Toronto was in that game. And then on Saturday, that back and forth thing a game against Ottawa. For some reason, the teams that are at the bottom of the standings just give the Flyers a run for their money. And, and that they're they're Ottawa's a competitive team, but a lot of young talent. That was a fun game to watch. And, you know, still, even though it's like they should have destroyed that team, Ottawa's not as bad as they look. If you watch them play, they're actually better. They're just not getting the luck of getting more goals than the other team, believe it or not. Yeah, and to that point of not just the Flyers struggling against lower feet bottom teams like Ottawa, but it's always Ottawa that causes these fights and these scrums and this just what is, for lack of a better term, an abnormality in the NHL today. You're not seeing a bunch of fights like we used to even just, I would say just five years ago. The amount of fights that you saw five years ago to six years ago compared to now is totally night and day. Even Jake Voracek got in a fight after Chuck, I believe, just absolutely laid out uh, Travis Konechny, and now he's out indefinitely with a concussion. It's just like every once in a while it's appropriate, and it's good to see that fighting is still in the game when it's an appropriate time. And definitely uh, against Ottawa, it's good to see that the fight is still there. Yeah, I agree with you. And fighting is one thing about nowadays that you don't you don't see it as often as you used to. You're absolutely right. Even as much as ten years ago, when people were more up in uh, being aware about concussion issues. Yeah. The the I, there's a major difference from 15 years ago from when that brawl happened at the Wells Fargo Center on Friday night fights. If you remember that game back in 2004, yeah. that yep. legendary game. Uh, Marty Havlat, I I forget who he hit, but he hit somebody. And started the whole thing, and then the coach kept him on the bench. <laughs> it was hilarious. But you don't see those types of fights anymore because we've talked about it in earlier episodes where now teams see the importance of rolling four lines rather than having one time one line kind of protect the other three. The game is changing that aspect. But it's still good to see that you're having a tilt to try to get some jolt or jump out of your bench. And yeah. you still need that. Your fourth line guys will still mainly do it. I was really shocked when Jake dropped the gloves. He's done it before. Um, he didn't do much in it in the fight. He kind of just threw the guy to the ground and people cheered because that's a fight now win nowadays when you throw a guy to the ground, not really punch <laughs> him in the head. Um, but it's actually, it, I, and if anybody knows, I constantly rip Jake for for good reason. But I do have to give him a lot of credit here because at a time where someone needed to step up and make a statement like, hey, you're not going to beat us down, he did it. So I give Jake credit for that. It's actually good to see him step up into that role and that leadership role because you expect guys who are leaders. in the. You can always tell the guys who are leaders in the locker room because they will participate in those fights. That was what Wayne Simmons is all about. Jake, to me now, I have more respect for him the fact he was able to jump in and do that. 100%. The problem that we, the real problem that we focused, have to focus on in that game, though, is the leading scorer of this team, Travis Konechny, is now out indefinitely with concussion. You already have Nolan Patrick out with migraine issues related to a concussion. Now you have your other star forward in Travis Konechny out indefinitely. We don't know. This is the problem with concussions. He could be back in 
later this week when they take on Winnipeg uh, on Sunday, or he might not be back until January. You never know with concussions. How concerned are you that Travis Konechny is out? I'm not overly concerned. Uh, case in point, I mean, you're right. Anything can happen in a concussion. It's going to be tough for the team to kind of overcome that. He is a leading scorer, 28 points. But if I remember back, I think in 2012, I believe, Claude Giroux got a concussion against, I think it was Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, in the game where Peter Laviolette pushed Steve Ott out of the way and told him to F off. Um, yep. There was a game where Giroux, because they were doing it during that um, that uh, that series on HBO, and he was out for a concussion, and they were worried to be the same thing a long time. But he was back a couple games later. I think he'll probably miss maybe three or four games here. They'll reevaluate next week. Think that people are, you know, of course you never know, uh, but I, I think that the way he kind of throws his body around and the way he kind of plays, as Ron Hextel used to call him, a little pissant. Um, I think that this is probably not his first rodeo for him, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that he'll probably be okay with it. Noah Patrick's a different one. They they gave an update on him last week. I don't know if the migraines were connected to a concussion from what I understand. I could be mm-hmm. wrong. I could be wrong. I really am not. I just know that he had concu- I, 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 he's had concussions in the past, and he had the migraine issues come up. I don't know if they're related. I don't believe when they talked about it they were related. Um, but – He's talking about he'll play at some point this year. He's really confident about it, just manually getting it under control. Um, you you know, the same thing kind of happened with Chris Pronger and Keith Primo. They both had the migraine issues. Really, that's what ended their career was the was the post-concussion syndrome with that. So it's a scary thing, but I, I think they're going to be okay. It's now about who's going to step up because you don't have your leading score. I mean, he's tied with Oscar Lindblom in goals, so I would hope that Oscar Lindblom would step up and start – scoring some more goals because he's gone a little cold lately. Uh, but really, it's coming down to the Jake. Jake's Even though Jake is kind of rebounding, he's got 21 points now, um, he he needs to take that place and be that guy. If Jake's going to take that next step as a leader and show it, he'll do it by putting the puck in the back of the net. So that's exactly what he's going to do in, in, this, in the absence of connecting. I totally agree. And bef- before I get to the, who I need to see step up, I don't think – I don't think there's a doubt that Nolan Patrick would is going to play at some point this year because he would not have done that little scrum with the with the media last week if they didn't think he was going to play. I think he's very he's a very soft spoken guy. I give him a lot of credit for the questions he was answered or the questions he was asked. Um, I don't think he does that if the Flyers medical staff and the Flyers just in general knew that he was coming back this season to play until he comes back and Travis Konechny comes back, they are going to need a lot of contribution from that bottom, those bottom two lines in, in lines three and four. Not just that, though. Kevin Hayes has gotten a little hot lately in the last six to seven games. He needs to get more consistent. He's minus three right now on his, produ- on, on his overall stats, so it's not terrible. It's about where he has been career-wise, actually. But, like, I need more from him particularly in the goal scoring. Like, we talk about how Claude Giroux is not a natural goal scorer. He's the assist guy. He's the setup guy, the playmaker. And he's been doing that. And his goals have come when they have been needed. He had some nice, he's had some nice ones over the course of this early season. Kevin Hayes has got to be, start being the goal scorer that we expect him to be. And just from JVR too. JVR has really been quiet. It feels just in overall, he's had little streaks and bumps or excuse me, just streaks of production. But overall he's had a down year. 
I don't know if it's him still getting acclimated to the Vigneault system, but he's been disappointing because he played pretty well under Hackstall, Dave Hackstall, and to see him struggling against, or excuse me, struggling with a experienced coach like Elaine Vigneault, it's disappointing to see for sure. Yeah, I agree. But I I think that if you're going to talk about guys who are going to step up, I think that the team might want to go a little younger. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about Joel Farabee. Joel Farabee's got 11 points in 24 games. Not terrible. He's plus two. That's not terrible for a first-year player. Morgan Frost is minus two through 10 games and has four points. If I'm Vigneault, I'm going to take, and we talked about this at the beginning of the season. We talked about if a player goes down, one of these guys is going to have to step up and put in a role. The best fit for the Flyers to be able to replace that production and the style of play, hands down, is Morgan Frost. However, Mm -hmm. you're going to get a little more grinding and a little more of an aggressive edge out of Farabee. I think those the team might be better served to get these guys a little more minutes to see what they can start producing from there. So, yeah, while while we talk about Giroux and Voracek stepping up, absolutely, I think that this is an opportunity for Farabee and Frost to really gain their footing and say, hey, Vigneault's saying, if I'm going to give you the keys and give you the ice time, go produce. And if you yep. give these kids more ice time, I guarantee one of them is going to pick up more points than the other because they're just going to take advantage of the opportunity. Who is that going to be? I don't know. But I, I think that they might be okay with having Farabee and Frost. I'm sure they'll bring up Carson Twarinski again. He's been back and forth all season long. Maybe they'll even play Chris Stewart every once in a while because they haven't really played him too much. But yeah, uh, I, if they, I'll tell you this. They're going to have to probably do that because they're going to have to bring up maybe Chris Stewart because they'll need to protect them in the lineup a little more. Twarinski, I mean, he either one of them could work. But, I mean, it's up to Farabee and, and Frost here to kind of step up. I think they're the ones to be called in, in this one here. Yeah, especially with not only uh, Nolan Patrick and, and, and Travis Konechny out, Michael Raffle's out for the foreseeable future too, or at least a month now because he has a broken hand. Uh, Vorbrev for him. They have Michael Vorbrev, and he played on Saturday. Yeah, so th- like I think we talked about the lower lines and the younger younger guys. Like Tyler Pitlick is not going to get you the streaky scoring he had. He has six points on the season. Him on the fourth line is exactly where he's going to be. He's not going to produce a lot of points. He's going to just be that uh, that that tone setter line, whatever you want to call it. And I agree. You need a lot from uh, from these guys. I think Morgan Frost, he's only played in 10 games because it's obviously he was called up early, uh, just a couple weeks ago. His four points in that 10 games, first year, you can't, I don't think you can expect much. But at the same time, he's up here, he's up here for a reason. And that reason is because of his scoring ability. Uh, so I 100% agree with you. He needs to start stepping it up. And I think we'll start seeing that. Now, we talked about before the season with Konechny's power play points. He hasn't really gotten that many power play points this season, but the team does need to get better on the power play. Um, with with Frost, if they're gonna play, That's going to cause more opportunity for Frost to be out there and Farabee to be out there on the power play specialist role because they're going to have to cycle and fill these guys in now. I don't think that their second and third lines, they're not really going to want to tumble with them too much because they have some good consistency out of their top nine, uh, but we'll have to see what happens. Agreed. And to your point about the power play, Travis Konechny only has two goals on the year 
on the power play. And that was to your point in our preseason podcast about how, yes, he earned this contract that he got in the offseason, but it might be a little bit of an overpay because he scores a lot on the on the on the even strength, but he doesn't do a lot of contribution on the power play. And we're seeing that. But to the point of how this team is just struggling in general on the power play this year, Ivan Provorov is leading the team in goals. Now, typically on the blue line on the power play, they should be up there in terms of scoring goals and creating chances. However, the fact that they only have their top scorer as four total goals on the power play is a serious problem. Claude Giroux only has three. He's second in the league, and then Oscar Lindblom is tied with him at three. I don't know if it's just something with the Flyers, but it's very frustrating that they finally figured out the penalty kill after two or three years of struggling with that, but having a strong power play, and now it's gone vice versa and it's a struggling power play and a really good penalty kill right now i'm hoping at some point it'll level out chances are it will but you're you're past the quarter season mark already like we're already 30 games in 52 left it's you can't really i 52 sounds like a lot but we're almost at the new year okay I see your point. I'm. I, I have. I have a couple counterpoints for you. First of all, I want to go back to your connecting thing. I know he doesn't have a lot of power play points because every time he gets a power play point, you hit me up on Twitter saying, "Oh, hey, <laughs> guess what? He got a power play point." Yeah, guess what? I know that. I don't care if he's getting one or two. My mentions aren't being flooded, Bill. Anyway, secondly, besides that, I think the problem with the power play is more of their execution with it. I think from what they're doing, from what I'm seeing anyway, they're relying too much on on shots from the point. I don't see enough cycling. And if I see cycling, it's not fast enough. You're not pulling guys out of position. Most teams, if you... And I think this is actually a good thing for chalk talk, for people to understand when we get into defense. Maybe we'll start off a little bit and more understand the power play rather than trying to explain a breakout because that's going to be a little bit complicated. But what they try to do, and if I could try to explain this as best as I can, watch next time the Flyers are on the power play. You'll see either the teams will get a box, which will be two guys on the lower dot and two guys above the dot. They either be that or they'll be collapsed in closer to the slot area, or sometimes they'll do a triangle, like a diamond. So you have one guy in front of the goalie, two at the dots, and then one at the top of the slot. So it depends on what you do and how you do your defensive formation. Kind of like football in that spec. There are plays like that. But I digress. The whole point I'm trying to make is that I'm not seeing enough cycling to really move those players around. They're not. They're relying on getting the puck down low, getting the defense to scramble, and then the open guy is at the point, and they're going to blast it from there. Well, guess what happens? When you do that too much, teams pick up on that, and they'll pressure the guys down low, knowing you're going to get it to the point, and all they need to do is just get in the lane and block the shot. So I think it's more of a style thing with them to be honest with you I think it's more systemic than it is actually execution because I see they get opportunities on the power play and they move it around but I don't think what they're doing fits and besides that I think why we want to harp on the power play now we're used to the Flyers like five ten years ago being tops in the league on the power play but you don't want your offense being all in on the power play you don't want to be number one and have your offense just come from the power play. The biggest thing we've seen from this team this season is their improvement five-on-five. Five. They are scoring five-on-five five goals on the regular, which is great because 
the game is played most of the time at five on five. And while, yes, you need to capitalize on your power play opportunities, 18.1%, I'm okay with that for now because they're scoring five on five. If they weren't scoring five on five, I'd be a little more concerned. And lastly, before I end this ridiculous rant, although it's all true, (laughs) the point is, is that the biggest factor is the fact how they've improved on the penalty kill. Because what wins you championships, Bill? Defense. Bingo. So if they're not giving up power play goals, they're not giving up free goals to the other team. That means defensively they've improved. Adding players that can do that is great. Justin Braun's been a big part of that. Kevin Hayes is a huge part of that. Probably the bigger reason offensively than why they signed him because he can play 200 feet. So having that improve to a point where, okay, when the Flyers give up a penalty, you know they're going to kill it off. I mean, it's it's fantastic. So far, they are, throughout the year, they're fourth in the league at 84.7%. They've given up 13 power play goals on 85 opportunities. I'll take that. I'll take that. So I'd rather them not give up goals in the power play, it's crazy enough, than score goals in the power play because they're scoring goals 5-on-5, five five, and that's how you win hockey games. Now, earlier this year in our early podcast, we talked about how the Flyers are fun again after a couple games in because we realized this team had completely wiped out any remnants of Dave Hextall and Ron Hextall in terms of just how the team thinks and plays. And we're seeing that on the ice. People are watching the game, I'm imagining, on television. An interesting debate propped, cropped up against the Arizona Coyotes where a photo was taken and it was in the middle, I believe, of the second period and the crowd was empty. It was like, there was like nine and a half minutes left to go in the second, so you can't really use the excuse of uh, it was a late arriving crowd uh, or a crowd returning after an intermission because sometimes they can get a little wacky if you're 18 minutes into the second period. Obviously, it's a little weird. Get Our, concessions and everything and coming back. Exactly. Yeah, nobody makes it back to like 16, 17 minutes left in the second period after you leave. If you leave your seat in the fr- at the end of the first, you're not getting back until after the puck drops in the second. Exactly. So I my ears perked up a little bit when I saw this photo because I think it is a little... It's certainly strange for hardcore Flyers fans... To see that this team, this team used to sell out night in and night out, didn't matter who it was, how they were playing. I have a theory on why this is happening. Scott, what's your take on why no one's going to these Flyers games early on? Well, let's take a look at the opponent that night, first of all. It's Arizona. Who the hell wants to go watch Arizona? With all due respect to that team, I don't care if they're best in the West. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows any of the players on the team. Anybody know Clayton Keller? No. Does anybody know uh, Darcy Kemper? No. Does anybody know Oliver ekman Larson? Not really. So I think there's, there's two parts to this. I think one of them is the fact that what's killed the league in the last 10 years, in my opinion, since this last CBA has been, and we're talking the second lockout, not the original one where they lost the full season. I think since the last lockout, what's killed the league is the lack of player movement. It's just they're, they're yeah. no, the teams have been too stale for so damn long. I mean, look, I get it. I get it. The, the the whole philosophy of any NHL team nowadays is the draft and groom your talent. Okay, I get that. But the fans don't get it. You're not going to get that casual fan. You'll get 
hardcore guys like myself, you, and the people who were there to see them play Arizona. You'll get those people there, but they're not going to bring in money. Now, what the NBA does every year is the NBA basically is guys can opt out of their contracts or whatever and then go play whatever the hell they want. Now in the NHL, you have a guy, and let's use the biggest NHL star right now. Who do you think that is? Oh, it's 100% Connor McDavid. Without a doubt. And where is Connor McDavid playing right now? All the way out west in Edmonton. Uh, I don't even know the Providence, but it's in Canada. Yes, Edmonton, Alberta. He's playing in Edmonton right now. And guess how long his contract is? I think I remember it being something stupid, like 11, 12 years. No, no, you can't go any more than eight years, but he's getting a lot of money. But the point is, is that his contract is eight years. So he, okay, so he took the max. Yeah, he took the max. Of course, he's the best player in the league. And then Dreisaitl did the same thing, Leon Dreisaitl. Those are two best players in the league. We're talking, and I'm not joking here when I say this, we're talking Gretzky and Messier-type talent. It is part two for Edmonton out there, which is great for Edmonton. But here's the problem. They're on the West Coast, where the games out here don't start until 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. Nobody, even the hardcore fans are watching those games. And what's awful about it is that you have a team come out here like Arizona who has a lot of good young talent, but nobody knows who they are because the players don't move. So now Connor McDavid is going to spend the next eight years in Edmonton His best years are going to be in Edmonton. So by the time he has an opportunity to move on to someplace else, if he chooses to, and wants to go to a big market like New York or Boston or Philadelphia or Detroit or Minnesota, nobody's really going to know who he is. They'll know who he is, but they're not going to see most of his career already. They're going to get him when Gretzky went to L.A. Now, Gretzky did great for the league, because his notoriety in a big market in America drew that. But he also played in New York later in his career. So the point I'm trying to make is that you, what's killing the league is the fact that I bet you 10 to 1, everybody was like, uh, the Flyers play in Arizona. You know, I don't know who anybody is. I'm just not going to go tonight or I'm going to get rid of my tickets. So the league does not do a good enough job of advertising its best players and marketing its best players but it also doesn't help them by not doing that and keeping the teams to where only the players locally are known. So you won't know that Clayton Keller is a very good goal scorer. You won't know that Oliver ekman Larson is a fantastic defenseman. You won't know that Darcy Kemper has a sub-two goals against average and his save percentage is 9.35. You don't know any of that because they don't market it. The players don't move. Once they're there, they're there for a really long time. I think really the big problem, as I mentioned, is because there's no movement. There's no excitement for the casual fan to go anymore. And while, yes, the Flyers are great, they're fun to watch, it's fantastic. We're trying to teach you about everything. We just taught people last week about zone entry and forechecking, and we're trying to bring recognition to how great this game is. But you can't do it with crappy marketing. And you can't do it without getting casual fans excited by getting big names in big markets where people can actually go and see, wow, look how good this guy is. And he's, oh my God, I got this. My team's going to see him six times a year. And he's in the biggest market where they can just market the hell out of him and he become a world star. But they don't do that. No. So, and I, I think all that being said, it's encapsulated by the fact that 
the arena was literally half empty against the Coyotes. The best team in the Pacific Division, better than Edmonton. And nobody went and watched because nobody knew who the hell they were. My theory is the organization of the Philadelphia Flyers right now, despite getting rid of Dave Hextall and Ron Hextall, they are still getting rid of the rot. The last six years, give or take, have been the definition of mediocrity for this organization that has, has as much as I criticized him and God rest his soul, as much as I criticize Ed Snyder at the end of his at the end of his tenure as the owner of the, of the team, he was right when he was pressed in that I, I don't remember who the reporter was, but the day that they fired Peter Laviolette, he was pressed by a reporter of, What's the Flyers' identity? And he brought up, we're consistently, we consistently make the playoffs. We've won Stanley Cups. We've built this culture. And around that time is when that culture completely dropped off. And you com- you could feel the, like, you could hear people selling their tickets, turning off their TV, like, just not watching this team anymore. And I still think they're trying to fight that and get that back. So, yes, I agree with you when we talk about the lack of player movement is not player-friendly compared to the NBA, which is what makes the NBA great in its aspect because the NBA has is a very fr- is a player-driven league, and that's what the NHL needs to become. So the fact that this team just has is fighting the rot that has been left over the last six years still, despite their playoff-contending team this year, People aren't ready to jump in yet, and they're not going to be ready to jump in as the casual fan probably until February or March, and you got to hope that they're still contending. I think they will. I think they're, they're converting on 65% of their points through 30 games. Pretty well. They're pretty good, but no one else besides the hardcore fan like you and I are looking at that right now. It's going to take some time, and, and let's not beat around the bush here. Despite their record... Philadelphia Eagles own this city from September until their season is done. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's not like so, the days it was a couple years ago even. I mean, the Sixers are more popular than the Flyers now. But also, I think there's another thing, too, that we're both missing. And you have an extremely valid point. But to hear the big thing is that we talked about the casual fan. When Ed Snyder got sick right before he passed, Comcast really took over. Comcast Spectacle really took over operations of the day-to-day on the team and started making their changes. And you can see that now by adding Gritty. Adding Gritty was the first real statement, okay, Mr. Snyder's not in town anymore. Right. They revamped the entire Wells Fargo Center. The problem is, too, I honestly believe, is the ticket prices as well. You're not going to get the casual fan. You're not going to get yep. the casual fan to go spend money on a game to go watch a team like Arizona. If you marketed it well enough, you probably could. But the ticket prices are so high that if you go on Twitter and you look at what people are saying, they're saying that they can only get half of what the ticket prices that they paid for when they sell it on StubHub. The I think that while, yeah, you got to make money, it's a business. I think that, that the Flyers have actually got to a point where they might be outpricing their fans out of being able to come to the games. And that's probably why you saw a team against a team like Arizona where you, you don't know who they are, and it's it's Arizona. Nobody wants to go spend money to watch it. They want to save money their money and go watch games like the Penguins, the Rangers, the Oilers when they come to town, if you know what you're looking at. And you know that Connor McDavid is there, and him and Dreisel are the best players in the league. 
in Chicago and Boston, those rivalries and Washington with Ovechkin, fans would rather spend their money on that. So they probably can go ahead and spend the extra money to splurge and go watch a matchup like that. It might be worth it. But for a casual game in early December against the Coyotes, probably why ticket prices too is probably another reason why exactly they they have a half empty arena. I don't disagree. I think it's a serious. Pro- it's a. I will call it a serious problem because if. They're good. If they make the playoffs, they're going to sell that arena out night in and night out. They, we know that. That's just how this thing works because – what's that? It's free money for them. It's free yes. money if they make the playoffs. So, like – but the problem is – and I'm no economic expert. I'm willing to bet the blue-collar the, – the stereotypical Flyers fan is the blue-collar guy that goes to work every day. He works for SEPTA. He's an engineer. He's a – he works for the local unions, whatever it may be, and then when he ha- finally has downtime, he want to takes his he wants to take his family out for a nice night out uh, experience. The Flyers are not even close to the top of that list. Nope, nope. They'd rather go see the Sixers where tickets are affordable. I mean, let's be yep. honest here. You know, you know, we we both have family and friends. If you want to take you and a friend to a game, you're already talking. You're paying. You know three figures you're already paying you're already in over your head a hundred bucks because by the time you get for parking by the time you get your tickets by the time you you know go grab a refreshment you're well over a hundred dollars for three hours of entertainment I, i i know people that would rather spend their money wisely and it's not about the hardcore fan anymore that this is this is where the marketing aspect of the league needs to come in the flyers are included in this everyone you're not going to get the big if especially if a team's not good you're not going to get those big corporate people to come in every single night and just fill a seat. You're not you're not going to do yep. that. You're not going to get those group sales. What you really need to do is you need to market your players to be like, whoa, like I can go on a Thursday night and go check this guy out and watch how special of a player he is. Yep. That's what they need to market. And then people I, might pay those prices to go do that. I sure as hell would if 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 I were a casual guy, say, "Well, I could go, I could go watch Connor McDavid on a Thursday night. Like, you know, he's going to be in town a bunch of times a season. Like, this is really cool. Like, this is how special this guy is." You know, I I think there's some there's there's a multitude of things. I think you're absolutely right. Part of it is that the Flyers aren't people aren't ready to buy into this team yet. I 100 percent agree with that. The people aren't ready to buy in, but they're not marketing, and it's way too expensive. You add all three together. And that's what it is. It, it, it's a half-empty arena. That's what happens. To that point, I think in the next CBA, they need to change how they do the schedule. Go to the baseball model. Combine, forget this interleague play of you only play each Western team once away and one time at home. Mix it up totally. I don't care how many times. I don't care that they have to play the Pittsburgh Penguins six times. I get it. They are the rivalry. They're the cross-state rivalry. Play them four to five times. I Play them as a series. A four-game, five-game series. Make more options for the Western Coast teams to come into Philadelphia and New York and Boston so we have those opportunities. Then address ticket prices, as you were saying. It's an easy solution that the NHL just has consistently. Since, Willie, you talked about the first lockout referring to 0405. I'm going back to the 93-94 lockout, or whenever it was, when Gary Bettman first took over the league, and that lockout happened. There have been three lockouts under this commissioner. Like, 
That's psychotic. It is. It draws away the casual fan. I think what's going to wind up happening is when the CBA expires, I think there's going to be a strike. It's not going to be a lockout. It's going to be a strike. And I agree with it. The owners have got away with murder the last two. The last two CBAs, the owners have got away with murder. They got away. uh, um, Well, they got what they needed out of the first one, and they got the cap. They needed Mm -hmm. that. Or as Batman likes to say, cost certainty. But still, they got what they needed out of that. The problem was after that, then it became to, oh, well, now we need a 50-50 split. And you know who headed the last one? It was Jeremy Jacobs, the owner of the Bruins. He was the one who was behind that. Him and Snyder were the, actually the two really the big ones behind the last yeah. lockout. Here's the thing, though, is that now it's become such an unfriendly player league. It's hurting the league, regardless of everything. It's too expensive. You know, they need to have these 50-50 split revenues. So the players are getting killed in escrow. And which we'll talk about, and that's a whole separate topic altogether, escrow. This is why Kevin Hayes' contract's inflated is because of escrow, not because he's worth $7 million. It's because of escrow. We'll get into that. But the, before we were to, to wrap this whole thing up, the problem is, is that this is not a player-friendly league, and I don't think the casual fan buys into that. And if this league really wants to be successful and not just say, hey, we sold out tonight. Uh, yeah, you might have sold every ticket available, but your building's half full. The whole point yeah. is to put asses in seats. And if those asses aren't in seats, then guess what? You're really not making any money off of it. Yeah, I can only do so much Wednesday night rivalry on NBC Sports Network that involves Alex Govechkin versus Sidney Crosby. I get it. They are, on the East Coast, two of the best guys. I can only do it for so much. That's another thing, and we can get into that, too, in another episode. That's another thing. The broadcasting for this league sucks. It sucks. And it, it, it may be crazy that we're we're two hockey guys and we're ripping this, but we want the game to can be do so much better. I'm sorry. Bring back ESPN. Bring back Gary Thorne. I respect Doc Emmerich. He's been he's been a hockey guy forever. He's a great guy. But there's if anybody's gonna tell me that Doc Emmerich is better than Gary Thorne than the energy he used to bring, then kiss my ass. Sorry. <laughs> he's still good. I I think if if I would love it if ESPN if they were to re- reacquire the rights to the NHL. Bring Doc with them. Have him on, like, have him with Gary, not with Gary Thorne, obviously, but, like, have them as a duo, like, market them as your broadcasting uh, shiners. Like, that's what you'll, your A-teams, that's how you bring fans back. That is going to do it for this episode nine of Orange and Backcheck. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, keep an eye out for our next Chalk Talk series. That's coming around. We'll decide what we're going to do. It sounds like we're going to do something with the power play and cycling. Scott? fun show as always always enjoy look at, looking at your mug thank you for listening we'll catch you guys next week Mark, get the players better